Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to our guest, Mark Donegan, the Vice President of Marketing at Beamer. Beamer is a global video software technology leader, for whom Mark leads corporate and product marketing, including growth initiatives, digital, PR, and events, with an eye focused on revenue achievement. And he's doing a lot of things right, as his team's work has resulted in a four-time increase in industry engagement metrics, a two-time increase in growth in marketing qualified leads, and they've obtained customer acquisition costs significantly lower than the industry average. Mark has that rare mind of both a creative and systems thinker. And he's worked in early and growth stage startups in the segments of high technology, software and software as a service, and both consumer electronic, hardware, and services brands. Today, we're going to talk about how successful B2B brands are standing out from competition and driving sales through marketing approaches and strategies. We'll learn what's worked from Mark's experience, what could be avoided, and how some are missing the mark. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Why don't we start off and have you share with our listeners a little bit more about what got you to where you are here, because you have an interesting background to get into marketing. I have have a very interesting background. So... Yeah, so uh, you know, I won't won't bore with all of the details, but um, the the trajectory of my career, I, I you know, when people say, "What do you do?" you know, or "Who are you?" the usual question, right? Um, of course, it's easy to say, "Oh, I run marketing" or whatever, but um, that's that, that's really a very incomplete answer. Um, I call myself a business builder, you know, and. Um, what that means specifically and, and, and how it follows kind of the trajectory of my career and just my, you know, what I've done professionally is that I've always been drawn to, uh, to, to companies and products and, um, you know, markets where, where there's the opportunity to build something that's new. Or to um, or to really enact significant change, you know. So maybe a legacy uh, market that's you know undergoing some uh, you know some some radical shift. And um, so in that context, you know, I kind of came up through the sales side, not kind of. I did. I started out in sales, and uh, and then you know as I progressed and began to lead sales teams, etc. Marketing was always a component. Um, a lot of times it was because, you know, maybe we were a smaller company, we were a smaller organization, or I just felt like, um, you know, that I maybe had some insights and, and was able to go off and, and, and build some assets or, or to do something that my sellers needed. And so even when I had kind of a, a full-time, you know, uh, head of sales hat on, just as an example, um, I, I was always, um, you know, working very closely with marketing. So whether I formally had a sales and marketing title or not. And so that's my connection to marketing. And a lot of that just comes because, um, you know, I found that uh, messaging is so critical. And so just as, you know, I was working with my sellers uh, early on and, 
you know, we would spend so much time just on, on positioning and, and understanding, you know, again, some of this is block and tackling of sales, right? It's just understanding what are the needs of the client? What's the needs of the customer? And how, how can we speak to that in such a way that they're going to buy our product over, you know, over the other product or solution? Uh, so that, you know, that just put me on this path. And um, as I was able to get involved in other interesting companies and do things, you know, that were kind of more around uh, corporate strategy and business development, um, you know, maybe a little bit less directly um, sort of responsible for a number, um, but, but very much responsible for success of the organization, uh, you know, that just lined me up perfect to, um, you know, to take on then a full-time, uh, you know, official vice president of marketing role. Uh, but I definitely am uh, in some ways an atypical uh, vice president of marketing, which I hope that we can get into, you know, some of the uh, some of the ideas that that I've, I've given you to talk about, because um, I, I think some of the viewers will agree and some will probably not agree. So which will be fun. Well, I think it's so interesting and we will absolutely get into all of that. I think it's so interesting though, with our world now, with more and more companies trying to position themselves where sales and marketing truly is aligned because yeah, that's where right. success is found. That's right. That's right. And so with what you're doing, why don't you share and pull back the curtains a little bit? I mean, your team has had some phenomenal success in making some magic happen where you're getting a lot of customer acquisition at a lower price point by using some of your magic sauce. Yeah. So uh, first of all, you know, just so that everybody understands the context, because, um, you know, I'm sure your viewers come from a wide range yeah. of, um, of, uh, of markets and, and business yeah. model types, yeah. et cetera. So it's B2C, B2B. Yeah. So I've spent really my entire career in B2B, even though I have worked in, you know, you might say kind of B2B2C, you know, where uh, for a period of time, uh, we were selling physical products to retail stores in the music business who were then, of course, you know, selling like guitar amplifiers and PA equipment and recording studio equipment um, to, um, you know, to obviously a consumer. Uh, but, but really everything that, you know, I've learned and, and is comes from that B2B, doing business with another business. But the first comment that I'll make is that um, there really is no such thing as B2B or B2C. There's H to H, you know, there's really just human to human. And um, this is, you know, one of the things that uh, e even not too long ago, I had to really come around to really understand what that meant, because I found even in my own thinking, you know, I would, I would kind of fall into this, oh, that's a B2C strategy, I'm B2B, so that's not going to work for me, or yeah. I'm going to completely ignore that, or, you know, it's almost like I, I just had these, these sort of blinders up, and you know, as complicated as like the sales process is that that I am in now where we have a multi year sales process. It's not uncommon for there to be 25 decision makers. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that the B2B process works today, um, you know, it used to be you always were looking for the buyer and there generally was one person who ultimately would make the decision. You know, the B2B sales process has always been somewhat fragmented. You know, there were, there, there was kind of a team of folks, but, but there was always one. Mm -hmm. It's my belief that in at least the markets that we're in, and I think in a lot of industries, it, that's not even the case anymore. 
they're, they're literally any member of, you know, in our case now, and not everybody has as fragmented a process, but, you know, up to 25 people, um, even somebody who's not connected in any way to the budget has power that they can kill the deal. So, um, how do you, how, how do you get a sale closed in an environment like that? And this is where the H to H, the human to human, where at the end of the day, you have people who are doing business with people. And, uh, this is where a lot of my strategies that, you know, I think we'll talk about, um, have come from is just how do you get in front of people so that even that quote unquote, least significant person, but who has a say who very well could kill the deal or certainly could slow a deal down says, you know what? I like these people. And you know what? I actually think their product's pretty good. Hey, I think we should take a look at it, but it's your decision. Okay. You know, to, to get that is, is, uh, you know, in some cases what we're looking for because the opposite response, well, I don't know about it. I'm not sure. I think we can do. And all of a sudden you have, you know, you have a whole deal, a million dollar deal that gets turned sideways because of that. So, uh, so the first thing is this H to H. I think that is just um, absolutely essential. And if you approach marketing that way, it actually simplifies things a lot. (laughs) And so with that approach, is it that you are harnessing inbound marketing to try to do education mainly so that you're not trying to just do a mass canvas and you're doing top of the funnel and you're creating something that's more mid funnel before you're getting down to that true buyer or how are you approaching yeah, so uh, you know, I, um, I I think again, everybody's environment is different, and and uh, you know, I uh, I know that there are some sales processes that are able to be pretty tightly defined in a funnel mm-hmm. where you can pretty clearly say, hey, we have step one through eight, and you know, yeah, there's a few steps that you might be able to skip, or they can go out of order, but pretty much, you know, these are steps, and you have to complete them, or else a deal's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, in our, for our experience, you know, we certainly have gates. Um, I think a more helpful way to think about it, uh, that I found anyway, mm-hmm. is to think in terms of gates, not so much like a funnel or steps. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what happens is if we define um, the marketing process as a funnel and it's steps one through eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you end up building processes to address a step. And the problem is, is that we are not in control. And that's one of the things that marketers have to learn today um, and recognize. And is, it's humbling, right? Because, you know, I like being in control. <laughs> I don't know about you, Stacy, <laughs> but I kind of mm-hmm. like being in control. Um, but we are not. Um, the, the buyer, the customer is in control and the buyer is going to enter our funnel wherever, you know, they well, please, um, they are going to interact with us as they please. And the days of, of the vendor being able to, you know, sort of, um, sort of force everybody, you know, or literally force everybody into a process like, well, let me set up a call with you first. And you're going to talk to this person and then we're going to qualify you. And then you're going to go like, like if, if someone's still executing that playbook, they're losing. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, uh, that sounds kind of harsh, but it's reality. They, they may not know they're losing, but they're losing. Mm-hmm. So 
so um, you know what I uh, what I like to think of is in term of gate in term in terms of gates and mm-hmm. and now these gates. Now let me talk about my process. So we have a very technical. We have a software product. Um, it's not a SaaS solution, so it's something that our customer has to take and then integrate into a workflow. So it requires mm-hmm. engineering on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first gate that we have to clear is a validation that our process does what it does. Uh, I mean, that our product does what it does, that our software yeah. basically works the way we say it, say it will. Now, how we get to that can sometimes be a very direct path. We can have effectively maybe one or two meetings. There's a, there's, there's a phone call with a certain set of people, and we generally always know who those people need to be. And then they say, great, let's get a software um, evaluation license agreement in place, mm-hmm. you know, and send us, the, send us the software. We'll run it through our tests. We'll ask you if we need help, and then we'll give you an answer. You know, and then we know from there, you know, what happens. Um, But that's a gate, for example, in our process. And so, you know, for the listeners, for the viewers, everybody, you know, you can already think in terms of, okay, you know, we have, um, you know, maybe two gates, maybe three great gates, maybe six gates. You know, if it's highly regulated market, you know, there's going to be more perhaps. Um, Maybe you only have one gate. But the point is you have a gate. And then what, what, I have done is is oriented then the marketing function and the sales support function around these gates. Mm -hmm. So if I know, for example, in my business that the first gate is is, um, uh, performance. So one of the things that we focus very heavily on, one of our our selling main selling value props is our software performance. And it's Mm -hmm. very important for these very, very large services uh, you know, where it could literally mean half as many compute instances, computers uh, sure. running on like AWS. Uh, and that's a very big deal because you're paying in some cases millions of dollars to run um, these, the, the, you know, these large computing centers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so therefore I will produce content or, or we will produce um, specific studies, provide data, provide, um, you know, I am um, a, a little bit negative on white papers, but I am not negative on the fact that I, I'm negative on white papers as being like the magic vehicle that, hey, let me send you my 25 page white paper so you can see how great my product is absolutely worthless, at least in our business. Um, But um, where there is value is to have a well-written technical document that contains the information, the answers to the questions that I know need to be answered at that gate. And so that's what we've really focused on. So one of the things, uh, Stacey, is that um, we actually started a podcast ourselves. And um, uh, our podcast, and and we were talking about this uh, uh, before we started recording, um, is an audio podcast. We actually don't even do video, and yet we talk about video, right? And so you think, wow, that's super weird. Um, (laughs) But what we have found is that it gave us a very non-intrusive, it gave us a new avenue to speak to our market to uh to uh, for them to see us as thought leaders mm-hmm. for us to uh interview in some cases even our customers we've had our customers on we've had our partners on we're very non-salesy it is uh, in fact only at the very end 
uh, do we say sponsored by, you know, Beamer Imaging? Um, uh, you know, obviously people know me, they know our CTO well enough. So it's not that, you know, the industry doesn't know who's mm-hmm. putting this on, okay. but um, it is not a heavy branded thing. This is not a branding exercise. This is not a look how awesome Beamer is. This is a communications vehicle that gives us a touch point uh, so that uh, we can maintain contact with the industry mm-hmm. without um, it, it, you know, without just flooding with, you know, ultimately kind of, you know, I- irrelevant or information that they don't need or even don't even want. No, and you're able to establish your expertise in the field while doing Absolutely. so and create content that can be repurposed in oh so many different ways to keep on ticking. And by the way, isn't this exactly your strategy? It is. It See? is. <laughs> so, yes. so it's, yeah. And, and, you know, we don't have to spend, spend time building up the value of a podcast, yeah. but, but, um, you know, at least in, in, uh, in our industry and, you know, given that we're in the video, you know, in the video niche, et cetera, um, it's slightly, it, it was slightly counterintuitive. Now, interestingly enough, over the last, um, our podcast has been going for a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, we just put out our 40th episode, which considering that that's a run rate of, you know, about one every 10 to 12 days, you know, was, uh, yeah. or, or I guess, um, now I guess it was, uh, yeah, we're, we're about every couple of weeks. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're almost a year and a half old, but anyway, um, it's, uh, you know, it's really, uh, doing well and it's now getting copied. <laughs> so, so others like, Hey, we need a podcast too, but it's great. Yeah. You know, it's, but, but it's not a bad thing. And, and it, it just shows that, um, that, that communications mechanism is resonating. Right. And there's a need for the actual content. That's right. It's being That's con- right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, and, and I stated this earlier, but I just can't say it enough. The, the, the client is in control today. The customer's in control. And so, you know, part of our job as marketers is, is, to, um, is to understand uh, what their needs are and then, and then meet those, you know? Obviously, it's our job as a, as, a, as a commercial company, you know, to bring a product. But as marketers, it's our job, too, to do the same. Yeah, 100%. So you had done, you like came to this podcast more prepared than anyone I've ever met. So, <laughs> really? you know, oh yeah. I mean, listeners, that, I want you that to know. outline took 10 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah. Just when y'all know, Mark sent over an outline, there's bullets, there's like, these are the big ideas. And I want to make sure you have the platform to get across some of those yeah. big ideas. And, you know, one of the things that you started off was, you know, an explanation and understanding of how you can win at B2B marketing. Yeah. Or H to H marketing. Yeah, that's right. right. Right? And become the king. You literally wrote out, you become yeah. the king. Become the king. Yeah, that's what yes. we all that's what we all want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, let's dive in there. What okay. how do you do it? How do you become the king or the queen of that's your right. category? Right. King or yeah. queen, both yeah. both completely absolutely valid. So yeah. yeah, so um there's a concept that that is not completely new and, and I want to give you know, credit where credit's due. And there's many people who develop this. So, um, you know, again, if someone's listening and saying, oh, but there's this other person who's done a lot of work in the area. I know there are, okay. and either I just don't know about them, but but um, uh, Christopher Lockhead uh, is is one that he wrote a book called Play Bigger um, with some of his partners. So he has some, some co-authors as well. Um, but Play Bigger came out in like 2016, if I remember correctly. And 
he defined this process called um, category design. And um, category design is, is, is really simple to understand. And, you know, I think almost um, I'll start with an example and then I'll explain, you know, what it is and then, and then just the high level steps as to how, how you execute. So um, let's think about the Apple iPod. Now, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, is familiar. And nowadays, the I, I don't even, in fact, I don't know. I think Apple do they even have an iPod now? <laughs> I don't know. The iPod's yeah. kind of the iPhone, but right. but um, we all remember when the iPod was, everybody had an iPod, yeah. right? And what's interesting is, I think most people are well aware that Apple was not the creator of the MP3 player. They were not the creator of this category called, you know, portable music player, which was the category that, you know, they dominated. Um, but uh, at the height, uh, Christmas of 2016. So, or I mean, I'm sorry, 2006. Mm -hmm. Christmas 2006. So this is really the height. The iPhone, remember, just came out in 2007. Um, and so, you know, I iPods were still, you know, very big and people were buying them through like maybe 2010, 2011, maybe 2012. But, but 2006 was really the height of it. Um, Apple during that Christmas season had 72% of the entire market, yeah. 72%. Every single uh, music player sold, the iPod consisted of 72%. Okay. Now, do you remember Microsoft's solution? Oh, Do you remember I, their player? I, I remember there, and I repped Phillips time. So I okay. had an MP3. And Phillips had, and Phillips, yeah, and yeah. Phillips had a so, line. Yeah, now, absolutely. And a lot of lines. And there they were a all, lot. And all of a sudden, everyone just took a step back and, and ran. Went, they uh -oh. ran. They ran. <laughs> well, They're like, we can't. We can't, can't compete. compete. Yeah, no. yeah, can't compete. Well, yeah. okay, so Microsoft came, came, you know, Microsoft said, hey, you know, we, we, we can compete here. Yeah. Uh, and they came out with a product called the Zune. Yeah. And um, the Zune, I, you know, I should have looked this up. Um, I, I don't, I want to say maybe it came out in like 2001, 2002, okay. so, somewhere in there. I, I may be off. Uh, but anyway, um, so so the Zune came, so Microsoft came out with the Zune, right? Or actually, maybe it was even 2003, 2004. Now that I think about it, it wouldn't have been 2000. Anyway, uh, for, forget the timetable. The point is Microsoft came out. And let's go back to Christmas season 2006. Apple has 72% of the market. Microsoft finished with a resounding 2.8% of the market. 2.8. And this is Microsoft. And by the way, the Zune by all rights, had features that the iPod didn't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could argue various points. Was it better? Was it, you know, um, but the point is, is that this was not a bad product. Yeah. And of course, we all can think of dozens, hundreds of examples mm -hmm. of where you can look at a market and you can say there was a better product, but it lost, you know, and why is that? Mm -hmm. And that's because of category design. And what it comes down to is, when Steve Jobs announced the iPod and in all the early advertising, what did he do? Did he hold it up and say, ladies and gentlemen, I am so happy to announce and to reveal for the first time ever Apple's MP3 player. No, he held it up. He said a thousand songs in your pocket, a thousand songs in your pocket. Now you think about, you know, 
going back then, um, you know, you had portable CD players, you know, which you wouldn't exactly carry around like a thousand CDs. That'd be crazy. You had, you know, um, of course, a thousand songs. That's not a thousand CDs, but, you know, hundred CDs, let's say. Um, uh, so, so what did he do by saying a thousand songs in your pocket? He, 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 he defined a problem, first of all. So the problem was, hey, I want to carry more music with me. You know, like I want to carry my whole library. Like I don't want to just carry like two or three CDs and have to, you know, manually change them or, you know, or, or whatever, um, you know, or a couple cassette tapes like yeah. the Walkman, you know, going back 10 years earlier. Um, you know, I, I, I want to carry around my music library. Okay, that was a practical problem. So category design and, and the message here is, is that he was not marketing and Apple did not market a MP3 player, a cooler, slicker, neater, you know, whatever, music player, MP3 player, okay. you know, whatever. It was a thousand songs in your pocket. And so the first step to uh, category design is to define a tangible problem. And, you know, it's easy uh, to, you know, sometimes if we're already in kind of a well-established market to think, well, you know, like everybody already knows what we do, right? But in, in, it's in my experience that in, with very, very few exceptions, you can find something that you can define, you can put a label on that is, that is a unique twist or a unique presentation that will cause someone to lean forward where previously they're like, they're just hearing all these marketing messages and they're just mm-hmm. going in one ear and out the other. Right. You know, marketing. and tactics, and, and, tactics and ta- too. Exactly. This works for service businesses as well. It, a, a, oh, a hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. In fact, yeah. service businesses, I think almost this is e- in some ways e- easier to do because, you know, you can say, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a roof put on my house, right? You know, and, uh, and so I had, you know, a parade of roofers come through to give me quotes and everything. And, and, you know, the roofer that I ended up hiring, it's, it's not that he really had, has done this exercise, but, but you know what, he was more than just a roofer who would bring a crew out and, 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 and replace the tiles on my roof. You know, he, he, he explained, he made it seem like he was a fabricator you know, who was going to deliver a, 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 a different roof than the, next, than the next company. And yet reality was, who knows, maybe it's even the same guys. I don't know, you know, like you don't really know how some of this stuff right. works. So the first is you define a tangible problem. The second, and this is really, really critical for category design, is that you name the problem. And you have to name it. And, and, but you have to be sure to put your solution at the center so, you know, what's interesting going back to the iPod, Apple iPod example is a thousand songs in your pocket. Now you say, but that's not really naming a problem, but, but it is, if you think about it. You're tethered to your music otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden now, like a thousand, wow, that's a thousand songs. Like, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and most people are not walking around thinking, oh, my library consists of 983 songs and yeah. I just bought a new album. So now it's, you know, like they're not thinking that way, but they're yeah. thinking like, oh, that's a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Wow. If I'm in the mood for rock, if I'm in the mood for country and for pop, I probably could have that in my pocket. And then now I, whatever I'm in the mood for, I can listen to yeah. it. See, and so you define it. And, and, and then now, how does someone like Microsoft 
or Phillips <laughs> or, you know, any, or the Rio or yeah. any of those early MP3, you know, guess what? They were all, they were all marketing by capacity, you yeah. know, one, one gig, one gig, you know, yeah. 256 megs, you know, you remember, yeah. right? How they're measured and the consumer yeah. just sort of looking there like, I don't know, which one right. should I get? I don't know. This one's a little 10 bucks more. I guess it's better. Okay. I'll buy that one. You know, and then Apple comes in and they're like double the price or even triple the price, but they say a thousand songs in your pocket. And you're like, of course, that's what I want, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so, so the first step to find tangible problem, the second is name the problem, but find a way to put your solution at the center of it. And this requires a, 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 a lot of work. I mean, this is not, you know, as we can see, it's easy to just sort of talk through, but this is what's making marketing so fun yeah. today, in my opinion. Um, and, then, and then the third step, and again, there's all these micro steps that are part of this, but the third is whenever you are communicating with the industry, you're communicating with your customers, you are talking on your website, you are sending out email communication, any external communication, press releases, trade show booths, whatever. You're always referring to your company and your product wherever feasible in light of the category. Mm -hmm. Now, it could mean that you're literally calling yourself, um, you know, the founder of, you know, the category. But that's kind of, you know, nobody likes a company just talks about themselves. So that's kind of the weakest way to do it. Um, but, you know, it's better than just sort of saying, what do you do? Oh, we make um, pipe fitting machines uh, for, you know, like, uh, 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 okay, <laughs> you know, like you and 1800 other pipe fitting machine manufacturers, you know, or whatever. Um, so, so by doing this, what ends up happening is, is that you are carving out a space where now in time, and if you do your job well, in time, the industry will begin to refer to you as the basis of comparison any time they look at a competitor. Mm -hmm. So um, the beautiful thing is that you can think now like a little more modern day example, and let's just stay with Apple, the iPhone. Okay. So Apple simply took their iPod dominance and what did they do? They now are the category king of smartphones. Now, um, you know, I know that, you know, some will say, yeah, but you know, there's some manufacturers who sold more unit quantity, but when you look at what really matters, dollars, profit, revenue, I, Apple absolutely trounces absolutely just just decimates the nearest competitor in the smartphone category. And why is that? There isn't a soul that doesn't walk in to look at a new Samsung, you know, um, what the new F, um, Q20, S20, whatever the new phone is, who doesn't have on their mind the iPhone 11. Okay, they're, they're, I mean, or look at some other phone and what are they comparing it to? The iPhone 11, the new, you know, whatever the new iPhone is, whatever. And so um, this is the key to category design and then becoming the king. And the message is, and the reason why I love especially the, um, the, the iPod example and, and throwing out those numbers 
is that um, uh, going back to the to the book Play Baker and uh, and Christopher Lockhead and the research that he and and his partners put into this, they found that um, pretty universally, regardless of industry, the category king takes upwards of seventy six percent of the entire revenue of the whole sector. Now, if that doesn't just blow your mind, like, you know, and, and so what that means is, is that if we as marketers are, um, you know, are, are playing to win, um, there really is no choice but to become a category king. Now, um, someone's going to say, but what do you do? Not everybody can be the king. And I'm in a space where, um, like, you know, like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm in the CRM market and there's Salesforce. Like you're telling me I, I need to like, you know, be bigger than Salesforce. Like, um, uh, of course, uh, of course not. But you know what, what about defining, what about going in and saying, we are going to target our CRM, both in terms of product capabilities, but market position, we're going to define a problem for law firms. And we're going to become the category king of CRM in this particular area so that if you are a law firm, we have 75% of, of the entire legal market. Is that an interesting business to you? Yeah. And I think most of us would say, yeah. I'll <laughs> That's, take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Exactly. So this is, um, it, it, this is something that I think chief executives, CMOs, um, executive leadership teams, founders, uh, it doesn't have to be only if you're in a startup. Uh, in fact, I think it's, it's uh, certainly applicable if you're, design, if you're starting kind of from scratch and you're building a business from, from scratch, like a startup, you're in a new market. But if you're an established market, it's not too late to really think very carefully about how you can build a category that you can dominate and you can win. Okay. That's awesome. That's really good insight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So taking that a step further, the okay. next area that you wanted to dive into was all about demand generation marketing. Growth hacking. Yes. <laughs> because you found your niche. You yeah. are you are going to be it. You are the yeah. CRM for law. Yep. All yep. things. So now what are you going to do to actually level that up? Yeah. So, you know, one one of my observations is that um and, and I am not uh you know negative sort of the growth hacking. Um uh you know, it's become a whole sector, right? A whole category. There's conferences, there's there's um you know, there's SaaS platforms all around growth, you know. Uh, uh, growth hacking and demand generation marketing. Mm -hmm. But um, my, my, my strong belief is, is that all marketing today is demand generation. That uh, unless you're blessed to work for Coca-Cola and God bless you, you know, or American Express or, you know, United Airlines or, you know, so, yeah. you know, a, a big for, a for, literally a fortune 100, the brand building exercise is just not um, the, you know, where uh, marketers should be spending their, their, their time and attention. Mm -hmm. um, the market's too noisy. Uh, there, there's just too much competition for attention. Mm -hmm. And so all marketing is demand generation. Now, 
Um, what's interesting about that is that uh, this gets uh, then into the whole discussion of like ROI and measuring ROI. Um, and, you know, so demand generation on one hand is, is awesome because the, the idea is, hey, we're investing a dollar and we're getting $2 back. You know, we're, we're, we're generating demand. It's very measurable. It's very um, quantifiable. Mm -hmm. We know if our team is doing their job or not. We've set out these very clear KPIs and, 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 and that's, and that's all good. And those things are needed and you do need to know where you've been. So you know where you're going and you know, all that. So mm -hmm. this is not to say, you know, I, I'm not a, n not a marketing leader that doesn't believe in measurement, not at all, but um, there is there is a big difference between um, uh, uh, you know between optimizing only for ROI and, um, and 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 designing for ROI. So you know I like to say that you know not everything can be measured for ROI, but everything should be designed for ROI. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm talking about demand generation cutting across the entire uh, marketing organization, what I'm really what I'm really referring to is, is that the entire marketing team, however big or small that is, you know, whether it's one person working with, you know, with, with, um, you know, maybe an agency or a couple outsourcers, whether it's two or three people or whether it's 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 or whatever, um, that uh, demand generation cuts across everything. So if you are uh, primary, if you're in a bigger org and your, func your function really is more around um, uh, content development, you know, then, then it's incumbent that as you're writing even those blog posts, you know, that are not overtly salesy, that you have a very clear strategy or a picture as to how does this fit into how we drive, how, how we drive demand, whatever that looks like. It might be some sort of direct response. That's of course the most kind of direct way, right? Um, but if it's B2B, you know, they're, you know, it's not direct response. I mean, you just don't call it and go, yeah, you know, I'm ready to license that software for a million dollars a year, you know, like, like that, that's not the sales process. Sure. So, but again, we talked in terms of those gates. Mm -hmm. And so there, the demand generation is more um, uh, driving towards what gate am I, you know, again, to use the idea of if I'm writing content, you know, if I'm a content writer, um, you know, how is this serving to drive someone uh, to clear, you know, the second gate yep. in our process, you know, just as an example. Um, and, you know, this, of course, puts a new demand, uh, what I found on marketers, because now, uh, obviously, you have to be, you know, being good at your craft is just table stakes. But now you have to actually understand the ecosystem. You know, you need to understand what's the environment that our buyers are in. What are the trends? You know, what's happening in our industry that um, that you know that I should be speaking to, that um, that that maybe our product addresses, but maybe not. But by speaking to it, we're showing that we understand. You know, we're kind of good citizens of the of the industry. Mm -hmm. And um, so this, this whole notion, you know, it's um, maybe um, slightly ethereal and everybody's environment and the way that, you know, their teams are built, of course, will, um, will mean that, 
you know, integrating demand generation through the entire marketing organization might be very cut and dried. It may really be how it works today. Mm -hmm. um, but I've observed, especially in SaaS companies, that, you know, there tends to be like the demand generation team, you know, and, um, and, and uh, all of marketing is demand generation. That's really, that's really the point that I want to make. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Yeah. And it all is driving to basically what you're talking about, cornerstone content, that you have something that you're building and you're every, every building block, every blog, every podcast is helping move in the direction of getting people actually to that cornerstone to get them through that gate and to start having them contact you, ask more questions or continuing opening gates. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then you had a take in regards to how the CMO is a role that's essential. And I think you phrased it as a business conductor to work yeah. in tandem with the CEO and the product yeah. team and your sales team and all these others. I mean, you are literally orchestrating and yeah. building and driving and making sure that the, not only do the wheels not fall off the bus, but that yeah. the bus is going in the right direction in, with the entire rest of the fleet that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I really, I, I love the word conductor uh, and I'm a musician, so maybe uh -huh. that's, that's where it comes from. Uh -huh. uh, but um, you, you know, today's, it is more exciting than ever to be a CMO or marketing head or VP of marketing, you know, whatever the title, but um, someone who's, who's carrying the primary responsibility for, marketing leadership and you know marketing direction for a company it today is like the best time i mean it really is and yet it's super interesting to me that um and i i don't know you know if this is sort of industry specific or if the trend is getting better but certainly a lot's been written about how the tenure of cmos is is shorter than almost anybody in the c-suite mm -hmm. um and you know i've even I, I think i saw not too long ago you know like kind of 18 months 20 months is kind of an average tenure which is like not good you know if, if that's really true um and I, I i can't recall if that was an industry specific or you know uh, where that number came from but but the point yeah. is is that um, it's, it's, uh, it, it is, it is well known that, you know, CMO, the CMO chair is kind of, uh, perpetually rotating. And, um, and the reason why I say that this is the most exciting time, you know, to, to actually be sitting in that seat. And, and, and I have a little bit of a theory and of course I have no, you know, every organization is different. People are different. So, you know, in no way am I trying to label why, you know, why maybe someone didn't last long in a role or, you know, or, yeah. or whatnot, but, but, but I have a theory that I think is founded. And that is that um, executing the, and I like to call it the, um, you know, kind of the business school playbook, um, which 15 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, maybe even seven or eight years ago was the role. Um, you build a team, you know, there's a management function of just making sure, you know, like you said, the wheels aren't falling off the bus, that every department is doing their job, that, you know, and, and interfacing with the executive management. If you're in a public company, then, of course, there's probably a, you know, there's a strong public facing persona to the role and all that kind of stuff. But it's all sort of, it's sort of a little bit cosmetic. I'll probably get totally shot at by somebody for, for saying that, but, um, but bear with me is, is what I'm explaining. 
um, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit cosmetic. You know, you had the product head who, who ultimately was, was designing and is driving the product direction. And then maybe product marketing reported the CMO, maybe not, you know, kind of depending on the organization, you know, if it's engineering driven or whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And again, there's kind of all these silos. Yeah. Today's CMO is in an incredible position um, where they're empowered by the chief executive to work cross-functionally across product, across sales, not necessarily leading sales, although maybe in some organizations, the CMO also has primary revenue responsibility or is ultimately leading the sales function, but, but certainly working in very close tandem with the sales leader and working obviously in very close tandem and coordination with the, with, with the chief executive and the executive team to really chart the entire course of this demand generation engine, of this powerful force that is being built, that as we said earlier, um, buyers no longer are 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 um, are willing, you know, to come into our process like, hey, we have yeah. step one. That's where you start. Yeah. Sorry, you know, <laughs> start there. And and the buyer says, no, I I like step seven. That's where yeah. I'm at. You know, and, 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 and the CMO is in this incredible position to look at the industry, look at the inflections in the market, look at inflections in, 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 in the business climate, um, you know, technologies that, that, that are relevant, you know, to them, uh, you know, to their industry, to their product, to whatever their, their core business is, and to really be the conductor of all of this. And it's uber exciting for, um, uh, you know, for, for, for someone to be sitting in that role who really is a builder and who, who, you know, is interested in kind of doing more than just hiring the next better agency or negotiating the next better deal or, you know, um, and, and so it's, it's, my, it's my strong feeling and observation um, that I think what we're going to start seeing, and I believe we're already seeing, is a different CMOs coming into the role um, from uh, a more diverse background, maybe even from backgrounds that were not through typical marketing uh, progressions. Um, Not to say that they aren't marketers. They need to be marketers. The other thing that's also interesting in this is that I think there was a role in the past or a place for somebody who legitimately was leading this big marketing organization, maybe in charge of spending 50 million, 100 million, $200 million a year, you know, huge budgets, right? right? Both on, you know, advertising spend and whatnot, but who actually had never, never really been practitioners themselves. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing, especially from where I sit in technology, um, uh, there, uh, I can't really think of any CMO who isn't a serious practitioner. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean they do all jobs well, but but you know who probably came up in or or has just grown their individual capability yeah. to be able to be an excellent writer, be a very good presenter, have a very strong strategic mm-hmm. sense, understand business strategy. Um, you know, be able to be an analyst, be able to step back and say, hey, is this the right direction? Uh, you know, are we going in the right direction rather than kind of saying, hey, you know, you guys tell me what you want to do and I'll build a campaign for it, okay. you know, which previously was kind of, you know, was kind of how a lot of the orgs functioned, right? Yeah. 
You know? It's true. No, it's 100% true. And the fact is, I mean, if you're going to be a leader in today's climate, we all have so much access to education, right? There's yes. so much yes. out there yes. that you can grab onto. And you need to have someone at a company who's a leader who's able to inhale some of that education, who's driven to educate right. themselves, but then also someone who is that special beast who is able to light people up and get them to do their jobs while you still have an understanding of what they're doing. And that's the magic. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it, it's so true. And, uh, and there, and there, there is magic there, you know, um, because it's, it's, it's easy to talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a conversation like this, it's, um, very different to, you know, hang up on this call and then go execute. But, um, But, you know, I, I think you can, you can feel even, you know, my, my enthusiasm and, you know, you started out by, by giving kind of a bit of a nod to, um, you know, my uh, slightly unconventional, you know, sort of parachuting into a, you know, a, 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 you know, we're not a large company, so I'm not, yeah. not trying to overrepresent, uh, you know, the team or the scope of, uh, of what I'm working on today. But, you know, to certainly parachute in, you know, we have serious investors and we're doing some, some, some good work. And, uh, you know, I, I did come a little bit um, non-conventionally into okay. a head of marketing role. And yet, okay. um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those cool things about careers, right? You know, if you sat down to design it, you wouldn't design it, but then, it, you know, necessarily the way it happened. And yet when you look back, you say it happened perfectly, okay. you know? And so just where, you know, where we are today in terms of what the needs of the market are and given, um, you know, given my, you know, personal progression okay. and things that motivate me, it's like, it's lining up beautifully. So. Well, Mark, you are absolutely the conductor of your own symphony. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, yes. and you know, Stacy, thanks so much for inviting me on. This is really, really amazing. And keep up the good work as well. Um, I enjoy, you know, the diversity of the interviews that you do is, huh? uh, you know, is really great. Well, anything that interests me, you know, so I'm one of those people who's very educational based. And so if there's a topic that sounds interesting that could potentially benefit my company or the clients I work with, I am very eager to just dive in and explore it a little bit more. It's awesome. I'm the same way. I'm exactly the same way. So what is your podcast about? Uh, so it's called the Video Insiders, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's extremely niche. Um, we are so the industry that I'm in at the moment um, is uh, video technology, and we actually, if you watch Netflix, you are most most likely, depending on the device you're watching on, watching our software. Okay. Um, we do what's called video encoding, mm-hmm. and so uh, if you think of it this way you know, producing a, a high quality video, you can, you know, you don't even have to be techni- technical to kind of, you know, get the understanding that the, the files are like really huge to capture the quality and to stream over the internet, you know, as awesome as, you know, all of our devices are and as fast as the internet is, um, it's, it's still much, 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 much slower yeah. um, as in like a hundred times um, less bandwidth than what, uh, these, you know, the pristine full quality yeah. is that gets captured. So our software is the software and video encoders take this really large file, make it nice and small so it can stream, but preserve as much of the original quality as possible. And that's what, that's what we do. 
So, um, so the video insiders we interview, uh, like for example, the Super Bowl just happened and uh, the Super Bowl was a really big event in streaming video because it was broadcast, it was streamed in 4K, so very high resolution, and also with a technology called HDR, high dynamic range which um, when you see, again, you know, what's beautiful about some of this stuff is you don't have to understand anything technically. You just see it and say, that looks awesome. <laughs> that looks better. And that's exactly um, HDR. So we just did an interview with um, the broadcast consultant who designed the entire uh, uh, workflow end to end from the camera to through all the production chain, all the way to distribution, you know, on your smart TV, for example. Um, so we, that's, that's what we do. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. You, but you don't do it on video. No. It, so, <laughs> so it's funny. We don't do it on video. And, <laughs> and, and, and of course, on one hand, it's like, wait a second, it's a video show on audio. Like that totally doesn't make sense. Believe it or not. Um, we, it is, a, it's, it's a little bit practical, at, but more strategic right. in terms of why we don't do video. You know, the practicality video just introduces that extra level of, you know, production. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, for us, you know, it's always a little bit of a fight of, um, you, you know, again, going back to that authenticity, like on one hand, you know, like, I mean, you know, I think this is, you know, you know, it's like, I'm clearly not sitting, you know, in a, in a, in a small studio apartment somewhere, you know, so it's like, I, you know, but is this professional? Does it present in the way that, you know, that we might want it to or need it to? And, and so that all those things come up, right? When sure. you're talking video um, and when you're talking audio, it's a heck of a lot easier, you know, so, mm -hmm. um, so we've decided to do that, but, but the practical, so that's kind of just the, um, you know, a little more, you know, it's just a decision, right? Um, but practically, we've had a lot of people say they love it because on commutes, in the gym, uh, the audio podcast is, is, is kind of preferable, yeah. you know, so every time when, you know, I've kind of mentioned like, yeah, we're thinking about doing video or they're always like, well, that's cool. You know, I might, but you know, it's like, I'm only going to listen to the audio. <laughs> you know, So, so that makes sense. Well, yeah. you, it's, it's now it's the whole, you have to create it in as many ways as possible so that people can come to you how they want to come. Right. Yeah. And also our objective, you know, our market is very tightly defined. Um, this is not a, um, I, I mean, relative to, um, you know, sort of a, a, a uh, public, I mean, it is a public podcast, but mm -hmm. you know, a, a broader topic, it's a very small, small, small niche market. Yeah. And so even though we, we are, um, you know, it's not like we think we've reached everybody, not by any stretch, but it's not, you know, we're not monetizing the advertising. I'm not trying to get, it, it's for a very different thing. It's a yeah. B2B market strategy. Um, and, and so it's a, you know, it's, it, it's demand, it's, it's demand gen, it fits into the demand generation bucket, but just like, you know, the outline, you know, what we're going to yeah. talk about, um, you know, I just, I, 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 my personal opinion is, uh, and, and it's backed up with, you know, experience. And, you know, I think there's a lot of other people who are kind of in the marketing world coming alongside and saying, yeah, you're right. You know, the days of looking at marketing as campaigns, and as silos and as functional blocks 
you know, like, oh, we have our content creation team. Oh, we have our, you know, we have our demand gen team. Oh, we have our growth hackers, you know, that are kind of a part of the, and you have all these functional blocks. Um, There's some organizations that I think, you know, that's still valid and that, and that that way of working, you know, works. Mm -hmm. Um, But in startups and fast growth, when you are um, in very dynamic environments, I like to call it the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross environment. You know, it just, you just can't approach the world that way. Right. Uh, And so, you know, in some cases there's tactics, you know, that need to be implemented for a period of time. And, um, uh, and, and and then they shift. You know, and it's not because they didn't work, but, you know, the market has shifted or where the audience is or what the industry is thinking about has moved, you know, and if everything's built in these silos or in kind of these functional blocks, like, well, I have my content team, I've got three writers, I got to keep busy. So we're cranking out white papers. So nobody's reading them. So, all right, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I hope you like your white papers because, you know, they're, they're not doing anything for you, you know, right? at least in most industries. So today. So. Well, Mark, thank you so much. And now for our listeners, if they, and viewers, if they want to find more about you, I know you're on LinkedIn. Can you share a little bit of insight on how they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. Fortunately, my last name is not so common. So, um, so yeah, just uh, search for Mark Donegan. And uh, I'm sure you can link up in the show notes there, yeah. Stacy. But to my yeah. LinkedIn profile, and really, that that's where to find me. I I, I live and breathe and and sleep uh, LinkedIn, and uh, you know it's just a wonderful network, and and I have a really strong network there. So I'd love for you to join me. Perfect. That sounds awesome. And then for all of our listeners today, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it, and I look forward to chatting with everyone on our next podcast.